Hello, everyone. Welcome to Nepalities Podcast. We have another episode of Good Soil. I am here with Sean and Beth Doherty, heroes of the countryside, <laughs> our local yokels. We welcome them. We're always happy to have them. How are you? Good. We're we excited care. to be don't, here. Don't worry about That's, it. Right. Okay. That's right. <laughs> I want to know why raw milk is illegal. Which explanation would you like? Well, the very I, short or the rather longer? I would like both because this is a podcast where you get to indulge <clears> sort <throat> of verbosity. So. Yes. But start with the short. The short and rather unjust answer would be protectionism, right? Mm -hmm. Let's keep the small dairies out of the picture. But it's not the real answer. The real answer goes more like this. Um, as cities grew, yeah. it was less and less possible to provide the nutritional needs for the people in the cities from immediately around the cities. So supply chains got longer and milk doesn't you needed bigger farms and we also had mechanization to make the farms bigger so we got bigger farms mm -hmm. who were collecting lots of milk now as long as you have you know the less than 25 cows that can actually graze in a given area and walk out to their dinners twice a day right as long as you have a small number of cows you can simply mobilize your family or your or your community and you have a workforce that can hand milk cows but as soon as we exceeded the capacity of the land and the capacity of the family we went to mechanized milk collection systems, which mm -hmm. means pipes, mm -hmm. and and very quickly meant not short pipes, mm -hmm. you know, from from teat to bucket, but long pipes to um, chilling facilities and to bulk tanks. And um, you can't clean those. I mean, let's be honest. If you have miles of plastic pipe, you don't go through with a toothbrush and clean them out. You don't clean them like that at all. You yeah. flush them with very hot water and caustic chemicals, yeah. and they build up. Um, biofilms on the inside, which right. eventually are host to things that at best are going to spoil your milk, like make it taste bad. Yeah. And at worst are going to also make it pathogenic, make it disease carrying. Mm. So, so we pasteurize. I mean, it's simply to get milk from, from a distant farm to the table in the city mm -hmm. is a long enough supply chain that the milk will spoil and maybe get sick making Unless we pasteurize. So, 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 so we it is in how you do it. And we think of Tevia, you know, and filling oh, yeah, the going roof. Along with his going cream along, can. Yes, and not worried about this problem. Yeah, it's a, vol it's a volatile substance in a certain sense because it, it becomes yogurt. It it's becomes cheese. Right, that's it right. It's, it's a living it substance. It wants to be something else. Right. It's probiotic <laughs> from the moment you take it right. out of the cow. And in, in any natural set of circumstances, you can expect that to move in positive directions. Yeah, no, That's why absolutely. we like milk ferments. Oh, I felt like such an ignoramus when I first got milk from you guys um, by a method with which we will not speak here. But Gift, what, of course, gift. Gift yes. of milk. And, um, you know, the first time I transported it, it was, I think I just threw it in the back of my truck on a hot summer day. Ah. By the time I got back, I had a different substance, it seems. Yes, right. <laughs> right, right. right. I thought, no, right. no. I mean, but then, then I realized. But, but not a bad substance, no, no, just no, different. Yeah, Absolutely. It was, it was a becoming yogurt, I think. That's right. That's right. And kefir, the funny probably. thing about, about, no, kefir has to have a different kind of starter, but the funny thing about fermented foods that is that contributes to the impression people have that food that is not processed and refrigerated goes yep. bad is that fermented foods, on the way to being fermented foods, Yeah are unpalatable. They are like the lukewarm, which we spew from our mouth. So we like sweet milk and we like yogurt, but the halfway point is unpalatable. And people think, oh, it went bad. It didn't go bad. It's simply not a form that you, that you prefer to taste right now. 
it's That's a really good point. Sort of neutral. I had never thought of the lukewarm as a as a culinary. Uh, <laughs> right, right. It's true. It's but isn't it good. funny how applicable it is? Anyway. It's always in between states. Yeah. So, so it is part and parcel of the rise of the industrial city that milk became a problem. Something that was not a problem became a problem. We talk about this a lot on this podcast because when we understand modernity and the way it affects our food. We often talk about the creations of conditions of scarcity where there was previously conditions of abundance. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes this is very intentional, right? Because if you ever want to sell Band-Aids, it's great to go cut people, you know. But <laughs> so, yes. so there's often de- the deliberate creations of, uh, creation mm-hmm. of scarcity. I think we're seeing some of that with regulation now mm-hmm. of raw milk. But then there's also um, the, uh, frankly, unintended systematic creation of conditions of scarcity that when we build cities beyond a human scale, yes, when we have a need for supply chains that are essentially military in their structure, which is mm-hmm. to say we have so many people in one place that the there's not a natural ratio of those who grow and those who consume, right? right. Rather, we have millions of, I mean, right. at some point, millions and millions of consumers, and then the growing has to change. So pasteurization solves a problem. It does. At least it, it, it gives you a, a stopgap. And it was, and it made sense in, insofar as, as I understand it, um, part of getting milk to people in our early city days were, in America at least, was having, um, what are they called? Basically, it, lots of cows in the city. Right. Right. So we did do that too, and that, and it's a good thing to bring up because it really um, sets the stage for why we ended up where we are on raw food, raw milk laws, um, as the cities grew, and we were simultaneous. You know, part of the condition of making big cities was figuring out food processing, and one of the results of of large scale mechanized food processing is byproducts, mm. and mm-hmm. byproducts are pollutants if you don't figure out what to do with them. So one of the things that canneries and breweries did was look at their at their waste byproducts. I don't like that word waste, but anyway, their byproducts and say, hmm, we could feed those to cows and then market the milk. So the classic situation in Texas. Because you definitely don't York, have enough grass. That's right. When it, you said, because it's so contained. When you reference the ratio of people growing food to people in the city, the other piece of that picture is land proximate to the city, adequate to the production of the nutrients that the right, city right. needs. Presumably you could have some of that out in Kansas, but then the supply chain is long. That's right. Yes, that's that's right. right. And even that's if right. it's a six-hour pony ride instead of an hour pony ride, it's too far. The matters for milk. So we move, we move, um, you know, the, there are a lot of points in the history of the United States or the history of the Industrial Revolution where we kind of want to point at the captains of industry and say, yeah, they made markets for band-aids by cutting people, mm-hmm. and that's unpleasant to think about, but is built into the story. At any rate, we get big canneries and big breweries in cities. We bring in cows, stable them right next to our facility, mm-hmm. and then they stand in their muck and eat inappropriate foods, and we, without any clear knowledge of uh, uh, germ theory, right, are squeezing milk out of the back end and marketing t- to city people. Now, I think I'm right in saying that we never actually had a very straight line between TB and tuberculosis and cows and tuberculosis in people. But be that as it may, we had in the late 1800s and early 1900s, 
we had this the circumstances that bring about disease in cities. Historically, you can look back and say, okay, you crowd a lot of people in the cities and you don't have good sanitation, people are going to get sick. And that's what was going on. And one of the fingers was pointed at city milk, which mm -hmm. was in large part coming from these city dairies, mm -hmm. which was not clean and would have harbored pathogens because a cow's gut only has the correct acidity for assuring that you're not going to pick up pathogens if the cow is consuming mostly cellulose, not carbohydrates. Mm. So if we feed her a bunch of carbohydrates, I always get this one wrong, but it has something to do with the pH in her rumen yeah, changing. I think it, anyway, it changes. And now it'll harbor things like E. coli 0157H7, which makes you sick. You don't, since a cow keeps her um, waste ejection parts at the same end of her body that she keeps her milk production parts, mm -hmm. there's the chance that there's going to be some overlap, which isn't going to hurt you as long as her gut doesn't harbor things that will make you sick. Wow. But they did. So there we go. We have industrial milk production that's contrary to all the laws of nature and produces milk that makes people sick which led to some smart person saying, well, if we cook the milk, yeah. if we provide facilities for women to cook milk before they feed it to their children, maybe we can get a handle on some of this city illness. Whether yeah. that was really a connection or not is But using debatable. the processes that we use, which are stainless steel, milking into stainless steel, yeah. and then straining the milk, and then putting it immediately in the refrigerator uh, in glass, right. we don't have to do any of that. Right, right, right. We don't Pe have any concerns. People um, are worried about the idea of contamination with open bucket milking, hand yeah. milking. Yeah. Um, the contamination that happens in your barn right, to milk, yeah. happens when you're breathing too. That stuff that might fall into your milk, like hay dust and manure dust, whatever is in the air, you're breathing it, you're swallowing yeah. it if you're in the barn. So that contamination, I mean, if you're afraid of that, you need yeah. to wear a gas mask. Well, absolutely. But it, in, in fact, it's not going to hurt no, you. No, I think it's fascinating. I think, um, you know, our fear of contamination is largely spiritual. It seems to me. Isn't that fascinating? <laughs> because, you know, I was, uh, I think I've told this story before. I, I was driving past a, um, a um, I was driving past a lot in the country and there was a new bridge that had, that was, had been delivered um, to be put across this creek. Mm -hmm. And the owners had wrapped the bridge in plastic wrap <laughs> <laughs> and they had a sticker on it so you knew it was new. And, and in an in, in industrial society, it's very interesting because we become our society. We can't help it. Right? Yes. Like we are not individuals. We're social creatures. So within a society of consumption, of industry, where the value is in commerce and the value is in products, right? The, the ways in which products are preserved don't just have a practical import, right? We start to need them in order to assure ourselves that we really That's are right. a part of this society, right? It's not um, wrapping things in plastic. <clears throat> is not just a, uh, a reasonable action. I mean, the things that are wrapped, come wrapped in plastic, it's almost always unreasonable. Speed that they boats. Are wrapped in, yeah, speed boats. A single, a single pepper. Yes, <laughs> right, right. Um, because it has a signifying quality. That's right. And what it says, it's a lie, but what it says is that, don't worry, no one has touched this. That's right. You know that thing you know we came from, where everyone had to touch the real and where they were small farms where you know they were they were in the muck 
We're beyond that. We are now a society that has managed and controlled the process of production. We have understood food not as a gift of nature that we have to get our hands in, but in fact as an industrial process. And we can prove this to you because it's items, it's product is wrapped in our plastic. And it has and a, God, a UPC symbol on it. That's right. It has a bar, <laughs> and God didn't make that plastic. And it's um, so it's fascinating when we, when sometimes we are worried about um, food contamination, worried about rot, we're worried about um, what we're often really wanting, seems to me, is the assurance that this comes from a rational process of man. And, and by rational, I, I mean enlightenment rational in the sense of a controlled and sealed off process of man apart from the divine. Um, and don't worry, God had nothing to do with his pepper. Right, right. <laughs> no now, kidding. Uh, the, no the, kidding. Description, the description that, that our son, who's just gone through veterinary school yeah. at, at OSU, at Ohio State University, what they are doing is they are talking about doing that now on this huge scale, that the animals are all... I mean, to giant go, methane bubbles. And to go into tent. that in order to um, uh, extract the milk, you have to be fully suited up. And it's right. absolutely right. insane Actually, system. the milk extraction is ro robotized. Well, robot, You'd be that's going right. in to, to maintain the, the machine. Right. It's right. just insane. No, and I, I can see this. Um, so we move, from, we move from milk to other topics. Right. <laughs> I, I, I do tend to go back to milk. Um, because... Uh, this, the, we see this in the way we treat our bodies, mm -hmm. right? So I, I think it would be somewhat vulgar to describe the sexual act as wrapped in plastic. But, but that is in fact the case. <laughs> yes, I, it so is. Many. It's and, unbelievable. And it, of course, you know, it, it, we're in a pragmatic age. So everything can be described pragmatically. That's a given. But the security and the feeling of safety that comes with you know, safe sex is in some way the idea that what is given, and I include uh, our rationality uh, here, but uh, what is given um, must be altered in order to truly be ours, right? That ownership can only come if the human um, sort of plants a flag um, of alteration, of modification. Improvement. And, and it, well, it has to be improvement because we're in a commercial society where the, 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 I mean, the whole notion of, um, of how things get their worth is by being sort of violently extracted from right. conditions of right. nature and then improved by the human being and therefore made into a commodity. And then the commodity is what really has value. The commodity is what circulates. The commodity mm -hmm. is the blood mm -hmm. of, the, of the social order. And so we treat our bodies this way too. And so there's, there, you know, sometimes people can look at what we do and not see the unity. Like, cause you know, there's, there's a transgender phenomenon. There's, you know, the phenomenon of safe sex. There's the phenomenon of um, body modification, et cetera. And they can see these things as all being highly different. And they are, I mean, they all have their different intentions, mm -hmm. but there's a unity here, mm -hmm. which is that we want to, even if it means hurting ourselves, we want to mark the given to be able to relate to it now as a product. I mean, this just seems extremely obvious to me. I, I, I maybe I've said this before. I remember I had a conversation with a woman who, whose husband had just Paid for her breast augmentation surgery. I told you oh I'd get back to milk. Gosh, yeah, wow. there we are. There we are. <laughs> Except for those breasts that were augmented, don't make milk. Well, well not well, very well. Anyway. Yeah, I know. There's, there's some difficulties there. Uh, but the, uh, but what she said is, it's so nice to have money spent. Wow. And I thought, yeah, I think that I think she's onto something. I think that within our society, everyone is born into this existential doubt. Because what we don't hear is you are unconditionally loved by the creator right. of all. And you don't hear that. 
And especially within an abortion society, even if you hear that, there's always the doubt of like, well, right. yeah, I'm unconditionally loved, but you know, if I had... Only because I was allowed to be born. Yeah, if I had a disease, I might have, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, mm-hmm. we, you know, we say, <laughs> modernity, is so, it's so funny in some ways. It's dark, but it's funny. Right? Right, right. We say on the one hand, like, um, you're perfect just the way you are, right? We tell that to people. And we say on the other hand, if anyone's not perfect, they're dead. Yeah. And and so we're right about everyone being perfect the way they are, precisely because everyone we killed everybody is, else. <laughs> has been deemed perfect. But, but our value is totally a cash value. Right, and exactly. this is one of yeah. the things that we struggle with on the farm, yeah. is that we raise this wonderful crop, mm-hmm. milk, and the way that we justify that it's really good is if I can sell it off the farm right, right, right. as opposed to we've we fought that enough now that we ignore that and we but we are, see it all the time yeah, when we're working with other people that they well that's the story with the Amish <laughs> we were just at an Amish conference we were speaking at an Amish conference and what that was one of the confusions that we had is uh, why are we speaking why at are an you Amish asking conference? two English farmers to come talk to yeah, us what they were telling us is 90 percent of their grand of the grandparents were farming 50 percent of the parents are farming and of the current generation your generation less than 10 percent are now farming wow but but getting back to that whole notion of cash being the value right cash is how we how we identify but you were you were talking to the amish guy who's oh well it it was just funny because over and over during this weekend individual amish and mennonite folks, usually men, would come speak to us and they'd say, you know, our problem is um, we have we have too much money and we're attached to it. And, um, so and they were saying that's we're, part of why we're down to the 10% is right. because these guys are mm-hmm. no longer farming because they can go out and work on a roof. They can do siding. They can, they can work a, in the chicken factory or whatever and, 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 make, and a, make a good living or at least make, make money. money as laborers. That's right. And then they come home and they have nothing to do. Um, and they were identifying that as a point where they are losing their culture very rapidly and especially losing their children very yeah. rapidly. Now we have lots of time to entertain ourselves because we're because we have too much money. And so it was just funny because they would come speak to us about our lifestyle and they would identify their problem as this. We have too much money now so we can afford to to not be the people who farm. Yeah. Um, but. And then they would listen with rapt interest as we explain things about how we live. And then they which say- Which are moving out of the cash system. That's right, which is a removal from the from the mechanized, industrialized cash system. Yeah. And at the end of it, not invariably, but way too frequently. Now, how much money does that make? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do we do with that? No, it's, it's, it's true. And I, I think it's actually a very hopeful part about humanity that when we- Turn to this, it's not so much that we're just money-grubbing, greedy no. people. It's that we don't have a system of value like as part of our social order that allows us to easily say, like, I don't need to talk about money. How is this good for us? How is this good for well, the farm? Everything that you get in the city comes from cash. Sure. The, your waste removal comes from cash. Your food comes from cash. Everything comes from cash. So the freedom comes with more cash. Mm -hmm. And that's the solution to everything. And until you are able to start providing these things yourself, from your farm, from your land, from something, it's going to be cash. Right. Right. Somebody, Somebody told me the other day that her parents didn't like to depend upon people. And so 
they just needed to have enough money so that they didn't depend on anybody. And I, there was about a two second beat where I had to analyze what she had just said and figure out what she meant. Because of course our, our understanding would be people whose needs are met with cash depend on everybody else. Right. They cannot meet any of their needs. <laughs> right. Right. It's cash just, cash does not make you independent. Yeah. Jacob and mom of, often says like, you know, having money, it doesn't make you less dependent. It just makes you dependent on people you don't know. Absolutely. That's exactly <laughs> yeah. right. That's exactly right. Everything yeah. Out. yeah. No, it's what I love about your farm. It's what I love about visiting. It's what I love about uh, eating dinner at your place is the sense that um, the value has changed. It's not that you yes. don't use money. It's that you have a certain distance from it that allows you to use it where you need it but not measure value by it. Right. Not measure life and we by know it. that it's when free. the cash, if the cash system breaks down, which yeah, we're assuming that these systems, <laughs> these new systems that America has is very, <laughs> you know, leaning very heavily on, these systems are going to break down at some point. Is there any other yeah. option? History tells us they will break down. Right. Mm. And presently we have an entire system dependent upon the machine. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't self-heal and it doesn't reproduce and it has gotten further and further along the line of, of complexity in a way that makes it incredibly vulnerable. It does, it will not take much to knock us off our, our tightrope. But it would take more, you know, Joel Salatin talks about what is it that would make the wheels fall off? Mm-hmm. Uh, and for us, uh, I, I don't... For our farm? Yeah. I mean, we, um, we're pretty resilient. Right. The wheels aren't going to fall off. Somebody might shoot us, but yeah, sure. the, the, the wheels... I mean, right. how... Anna and I were having this... If my wife stopped working, it would all fall apart. Anna and I were having this conversation <laughs> right. over milking last right. night as we... You know, if you live in a... This actually goes back even to our conversation about, before the camera started rolling, about people moving into a community like ours and there being a, a, a communication gap for a period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I were talking about the fact that if, as long as we conceive of the world through the model of the machine, which we do because it's our environment, our, envi- our environment is human constructed. Yeah. Um, we conceive of it as something that, um, we set going, we decide what it's going to do, and we have the power in our hands to make make it follow a certain pattern. So if it's right, right means I told it what to do and it did it. Mm-hmm. And in a in a in any time previous yeah. to the amount of power we have we have abrogated to ourselves by machines and by um, petrochemicals and so forth, um, in any period of time. No human being could have had that that guy so firmly mm. um, in charge of his pattern of thinking mm-hmm. because it doesn't work that way on a farm. On a farm, you know, I didn't make it. I can't design it. I can't tell it what to do, but I can observe its nature. Right. And the more I can assist it to live its nature well, mm-hmm. whether it's grass or pigs or cows or chickens or wildlife or pastures or whatever, um, the more I can assist it to do that well, which means assisting it to coexist with all the other pieces of what's going, you know, the living stuff around me, then it will do that job well. And I can help to make sure that the surpluses that nature 
naturally produces, but which usually get lost in the in in a boom and bust cycle of you know growing population, population crash, swing back, growing population, population crash. I can manage mm. with my foresight, my insight, my opposable thumbs. I can manage to direct animals, plants, water, soil in ways that store those nutrients and make them available. And so we think differently when totally. we see ourselves as um, mostly mystified observers of a very complex living organism. Yeah, no, I find I find the analogy that we can still understand is in, in artistic creation, that there's... Yeah. And you think about composing whenever you're working on oh, a song. On the one hand, you could say, I made this. On the other hand, you're responding to each That's right. re reality. You don't make the notes. Oh, yeah. uh, the notes are there. And then when you choose one or when one melody is apparent to you, it itself dictates what you do next. And right. anyone who thinks that you can sort of uh, have a centralized uh, sort of management system is is just not a good musician, I would presume. <laughs> um, now, what do you observe when you observe cows? I mean, milk, it seems to me, is primary as a symbol, not just as a actual primary part of the whole God's food system, um, because it is what we make. So, so milk is not simply, you know, the vegetable, um, the meat mm, that we might eat. It's a personal product. But it is also what women make. Mm-hmm. And so, and so milk has, I mean, you see this in scriptures, right? It ha takes with it the image of an abundance, right? Of something that your body does and the body of animals, um, do, mammals does, mm -hmm. um, that is not the result of foraging. It's not the result of farming. It's not the result of, of labor, right? It, it comes as an image of the gift, I think, which is why I think it's a land flowing with milk right. and honey. Right. Right, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which are two things that we don't really manage into existence. Now, honey is is we can't make them. That's we can't podcast. even imitate them. <laughs> no, that's right. That's I right. Mean, and, and our imitations are really bad. Poor. And we we know that when when somebody when you try and give that calf milk replacer, mm. that calf does not do right. It's not the same beast at mm. all. Yeah. No, and children who are on uh, right. Um, have you ever formula, been? Have you ever walked yeah. into yeah, like a Walmart and seen? The, the like the aisle that has baby formula. Have you mm. ever have you ever yeah, done this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's astonishing. I mean, there's what like 60, 70, 80 oh, different that's a kinds. Big price of, point, yeah. yeah, it's well, and it's so many different kinds. What is that? Your baby's your baby might die is always a motivating factor in in shopping. But the <laughs> uh, when you remember when there was that crisis of formula, yeah. they oh, had right. a big yeah, recall, right? And there was almost no accountability for it. Um, but you know, it had me thinking uh, during that time of of the way in which um, the same society that uh, became petrified of the idea of milk that is not um, from a process that is invisible to them, so that mm -hmm. they can receive it simply from the industrial process. Mm -hmm. the same, that same society um, that destroyed the small dairy like deliberately and with disdain destroyed the small mm -hmm. dairy is the society that eventually um, came this close to forgetting how to breastfeed. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it wasn't just um, incidental, as it were. Like the, That's the right. reasons for it were that it could, the, the very idea that the best thing to do for your child was to buy a product and give it to him rather right. than give 
um, right. what your body makes. Now, of mm-hmm. course, there are difficult situations in breastfeeding, and I understand that. Right, and and, and, and this is not addressed that. at that. Speaking like, as a mom who I, has... I have nothing against formula as such. Right. I mean, if your baby needs to eat and you can't breastfeed for some reason, That's yeah, right. you know, give and, them whatever you can. Although again, well, but what I want to say is yeah. the industrial process is that that was not the that was not what was happening. This was not um, uh, given as a remedial um, technology. This was given as the way of the future. Mm-hmm. This was given as a, what you breastfeed your kids. Isn't that like bad for them? Aren't you right. going to mess them up? Right. Um, that same society I think is undergoing the same spiritual crisis in both, in both cases with the milk we drink and the milk we give mm-hmm. uh, because milk means primary substance. Mm-hmm. That has a certain uh, philosophical meaning that I don't want to give it to. Uh, no, milk, no, but primary milk in the means sense it's the first thing that right. keeps you alive. First food. And it's the food our bodies make. So right. so all other food is an analogy in a certain respect to mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. goes on mm-hmm. between the mother and the child, right? Mm-hmm. And that's how it all starts. It's, it's, and and when you feed the image. child solids, what are you doing? You're replacing that's right. milk slowly. Mm-hmm. So you're saying in a sense... This world is given, this world is complete, and now with our labor, right, we're going to expand it, right? We're going to, you know, in a way, I like to think of all eating as, you know, I'm still the baby that was breastfed, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. It's still milk in some respect because it's always, um, but what we do is we try to take away the breastfeeding mother as the fundamental form by which we understand all eating, which is namely gifts that we don't control, but that we creatively manage. I think he's totally onto something. And then we make it into some other, some new thing, right? Oh, this has nothing to do with that. But then of course in history, in our recent history, what happens is then we reflect back. So having made a new, uh, a new eating by the creation of commodity system, we then look back at the gift economy, which is the mother and child, and say, what is that? Right. But, how but it's, odd, but how it's, strange. But it's homeschooling <laughs> and it's home birth and it's home, all those things. Sure. All those things now are, uh, you don't have the competency. Wendell Berry says, we take one solution that. and split it neatly into two problems. Yes. That's our economic system. We're afraid. Well, I mean, Beth gives a talk on home everything. <laughs> You sure, know, yeah. home food. We shouldn't yeah. be afraid of home food. We shouldn't be afraid of all these things. But it's necessary within an economy that runs on cash to create as many That's jobs right. as possible. That's right. That's Absolutely. Right. Which means creating needs. Unemployment, creating unemployment needs. only makes sense. I mean, how we could eliminate unemployment is for people to be raising their own stuff. Yeah. You know, if, if yeah, I had right, to, I'm thoroughly employed. Nobody pays yeah, me, but I'm very thoroughly right. employed. Well, Ivan Illich has this little book. The title alone is worth is worth reading it. Um, it's called The Right to Useful Unemployment. Yeah. I like that. Where'd it come from? Uh, Ivan Illich. He's, he's oh, the, Ivan Illich. Yeah, yeah. I heard I have an. <laughs> I have an itch. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure what it was. <laughs> um, yeah. Right, right. I haven't read that one. But the whole concept is like we create... The, Precisely by creating the conditions of scarcity yes. in which you need cash in order to survive. That's right. I mean, it's very interesting, right? Karl Marx, he talks about you know being alienated from our means of production, but I think in some ways that doesn't quite say it enough. We are alienated from our means of survival. Yes. Uh, yeah. And once right, you right, create right, people who right. are alienated from the means of their survival, then they have to enter the cash economy um, in order to exchange their labor for survival, and they do. Uh, so given that that's the situation we're in, it seems like... Um, when you start to question commodity and employment as goods, you're actually questioning. I mean, it's it sounds terrible because you're actually questioning what's been constructed to look like 
the normal means of that what life. Is. <laughs> That's right. It's constructed to look like right. what is. Whereas this what you're saying and what I think is indeed possible even today is to live a kind of life in which the means of survival are a relationship between you and the Lord, right? And then you're in by labor, you um, sort of extend this loving relationship according to circumstance. Uh, and that this is really possible and it's indeed what people did for yes. most of history was assume a certain level of um, a, a sort of baseline of survival in a society that was possible because of intimacy with the given creation that itself provided a security that allowed for people to not do that. You see what I'm saying? Like in certain times, in certain ways, allowed them to go do things and to labor on learning to be a cellist or to, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, build a cathedral. The, the cre high culture. I mean, we're, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, there's too many topics all at once. <laughs> all right. I'll just say this and then we'll get back to cows because high culture, it seems, is always opposed to low culture, but it's obvious that it's a degree of low culture that ensures, um, that ensures the our ability to then act without fear for our survival. Oh, that's we, lovely. We, of we, course, we find right. it hard to understand this because we make everything a matter of survival. Why our art sucks? Why our our sort of high culture seems to be decayed? And we always make it a sort of simply a moral problem. It's like, well, Ooh. we're all just trashy people that like trashy well, things. Well, or now. we just need more money and better social services so that we have the freedom to create out of the vacuum that we've created by. But, and, and what we're Some missing is that we're that not way. actually able to provide artists freedom. We're not actually able to provide high culture, uh, which is a, a liberal activity, which involves you know being free to do something that isn't isn't working for your survival. Mm -hmm. We can't do that and make everything dependent on cash. You have right. to pick, right? Right? Like if we can't, yeah. So, anyways, the. The cow is what I want to talk about. Okay, right. back to the cow. Because what you describe is observing the natures of things and then and then creatively entering into a relationship unto their perfection and your own, which that's is right. how I understand that's Adam right. in the garden. That, the, the that's exactly the right line the thing that we love is grass is as long as we have sun and as long as we have rain, grass is going to come. Now there are environments yeah. where you don't have grass. It's you know for one reason or another, but grass is going to come. Yeah. And grass then, and we can't eat grass, mm -hmm. but the cows can eat mm -hmm. grass, right. and so we partner with these animals that are going to feed us with this unbelievable abundance. And how do people survive in times of war and things like that? They have a milk cow. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, so our existence on this planet as living things is is a function of the fact that we our planet goes around a, a star and it spins while it's doing it, so we get these periodic night day things, and we're 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 showered with the beneficence beneficence of mm -hmm. solar energy, but you can't photosynthesize mm -hmm. and um. You also can't eat the primary product mm -hmm. of photosynthesis. Yeah. Primary, as in volume on the on the landmass of the that planet. You can't stop practically. That's right, because it's cellulose, right? Yeah. So God clothed the planet and all these plants that that um, use solar energy and their chloroplasts to gather carbon dioxide from the air and water from the soil or from their environment mm -hmm. and combine it with a few minerals and make tons and tons of primarily cellulose. Mm. And so cellulose 
gives strength to plants. It makes them not all be blobs of green on the ground, like algae, and it makes them be able to become these glorious things like trees and bushes mm-hmm. and flowers. But you you are not able to unzip the the long chains of carbon and hydrogen that are cellulose. And in fact, almost nothing can, which is interesting since the Lord made sunlight our 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 source of life mm-hmm. and its primary conversion is into cellulose. How mm-hmm. come it's so unavailable to most species? Mm. But he did make some species that can unzip it. Cows, ruminants, most herbivores actually can't, but you take the ruminants and some other plant eating species, uh, you know, groups of species, and they can in some way or another unzip it. And one of the ways is it is that they ferment cellulose in their in the first chamber of their stomachs with a bunch of bacteria that in fact can unzip cellulose. They mm. can take those hydrocarbons, take them apart and reassemble them so that what we get is cows. I mean, they, the, fir- the primary thing a cow is going to do is grow itself. Mm. And the secondary thing it's going to do, if it's a milk cow, if it's a mama cow, is turn it into proteins, fats, and sugars of, as you have pointed out, the most accessible, the yeah. the first food, the yeah. thing that tells us what food is and what it's yeah. supposed to do. The yeah. thing we and use as a model for food. Totally on grass. That's right. all they, they need. They don't need grain. They don't need any other thing. But yeah. that they can get everything that they need from grass. And there's there's this beautiful compliment complementarity in the fact that ground to stay where it is and stay soil and continue to grow things needs to be held in place by perennial polycultures, carpets spread out, growing many, many, many different species um, that can fill in in any place under any circumstances within, you know, like certain parameters under which outside of which we couldn't live anyway. So within the, within the parameters of living things, grass will grow and it will reproduce. And when we say grass, we mean any non woody ground cover and it needs to be grazed. Mm. It is um, because it's biomass extends above its growth points that need, you know, places where it's going to begin growing again, Right. it needs to be grazed or mowed in some way, preferably grazed so that the new growth points can photosynthesize and, and replace the the previous season's plant plant material. So this the, there's this um there's this marvelous symphony of of these huge perennial polycultures we call grasslands growing and the hoofed things that come across and eat it down and the manure that comes out the back end of the of the animal to fertilize the grass so that it grows better each time. Mm-hmm. And our job if we want to maintain, if we want to remain on this planet, it has been all the way back to Cain and Abel. It will go on be all the way back to Adam and Eve. It will go on being until we stop being on this planet. We have to find a way to use the given systems to turn cellulose mm-hmm. into food mm-hmm. for everything mm-hmm. and soil. Mm-hmm. And 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 it's simple. It's right in front of us. Only. Your history's better than mine. When did when did we um when did we depart from that piece of wisdom? It's within I mean, depending on where you're looking, yeah. it's within even fifty years, but certainly within the last three hundred or four hundred yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. How much land does it take for one cow? 
Well, it depends on where you are. I mean, yeah, as, sure. as all farmers say it depends. Yeah. It depends on your, your, you know, um, how much rain you're getting and things like that. In our area in Appalachia, you can raise a cow and and sustain a cow on grass um, for most of the year. And we would say starting about April, probably until November or so. Uh, we would think probably two acres or three acres. I mean, our own experience has been based on the use of two variously damaged pieces of land that are not, um, wouldn't be considered highly productive mm -hmm. when compared to, say, land that has been kept in good heart for a long time. Yeah. So, so this, is, this is land that has very little topsoil. Right. Yeah. So every piece of farm experience we can can bring to the table is going to be based on using broken systems and land that has been abused and damaged. And, and that's great because and the, if we can do it, anybody can well, do it. that's right. And, and the cows healed your land. That's right. Oh, absolutely. That's right. Because that's right. the land was in poor heart because it hadn't had that periodic grazing, manuring, regrowth system going yeah. on. There isn't any other way to produce those effects except the animals. We have to, we have to, Again, I'm going back to that question of how do we become a different kind of people to form stable, loving, beautiful communities? We have to stop thinking in this mechanistic way that somehow we can come up with, and, we can and, look at what nature does and say, oh, I can do that better. That's right. <laughs> Watch and this. substitute for that. And what we are constantly doing is going back to nature and saying, how does nature do that? And if, if we don't see nature doing that, <laughs> we begin to question that Well, and I think what process. Catholics have to add to this, because there's lots of people that would generally assent, yeah, we need to go back to nature, we need to go back to natural right, processes. Right. But it seems to me in conversation that, that that can become, without a solid theology, can become naturalism. Oh, yeah. And, and anti-human. Yeah, oh, definitely anti-humanism. And naturalism, I would basically argue is a technological vision of man. It's just that you can, so you've taken the basic industrial technological machine model, and then you're just asserting that this thing is already a good machine. Don't mess with it, which is, ah, sounds like gotcha. the truth, gotcha. but it's a little different because what it means is then the absence of man, don't tinker with this well-ordered machine, is, becomes the prerogative. So that's, that's right. what we must do, that's we must right. absent and, ourselves. And we believe that it is, it is, we're going back to the natural, but we're also seeing the garden Well, where man yeah, was put totally. in the garden to manage. I'm thinking of Genesis 2. And it's a verse within that chapter. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Not the whole thing. We in don't which, have to pull it out. In which, um, you know, it's, it's the second account second of creation. creation and it story. says that, um, that there is no plant upon the ground um, because man had not yet been made to water the plant. Oh, interesting. Oh, I, I hadn't that's, made the connection to uh, man. I, was just, I knew it was a, yeah. a rain question. There was, yeah, there's no rain and there's no man. And so man is considered basically as the rain for the plant. And there's this fundamental description and then there's a mist that comes up from the, mm -hmm, from the mm -hmm. ground, which is always very mysterious to me. Uh, but there's this fundamental idea that grass waits on man. You know, it's because it's, it's talking about the ground, the plants oh, in the field. I like that. Grass is waiting for man because what is actually created is not something that precedes man into which he enters. Now, it is true that oh. God arranges something 
for man a garden and puts him in it. So there is a gratuitous arranging mm -hmm. where God says, look, I'm not just the author of nature here um, in the sense of like making an ordered machine that you enter into. I am in fact a deliberate gardener, right? So you garden because I garden first. Mm -hmm. uh, but Adam is is a part of the grass part of his part of the life i mean when you when you when you read later all flesh is grass yes, uh, in right. isaiah i think it, it's not simply um so man is not worth anything it's right, it's no. saying that there is a connection here and the connection is not just the circle of life the connection is that grass to be perfectly itself needs man to do something the cow to be itself needs man but man to be himself needs grass and the cow right uh Quinas says that adam is created perfectly to serve as a principle of perfection for other beings that's marvelous so, so sometimes we think of adam being created perfectly just as like a um as having no particular purpose. It's just right. like, well, mm -hmm. God makes perfect mm -hmm. things. That's right. right. That's right. Um, but that's not quite it. It's that, just to name stuff. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> but what God but what God wanted in his son Adam was that he freely and creatively perfects the other creatures through time. So that man already has a mission, already has a history. There's already an adventure there. He has a work. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think and the work that, is in the creatures. So when you're yes, looking at a creature and observing right. it, you're 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 touching the fundamental point of human labor, which right. is not to produce money, right? Which is not just to survive, mm -hmm. right? Even if it can become that, right? But which, and its most fundamental fundamental aspect is to look at a creature and say, "I can perfect you." That's right. And that's a good in itself. Why it's good to perfect a potency it doesn't matter. It could be, you know, why do kids run when they could walk? Because they can, right, right. and they right. and it's good to run. Mm -hmm. The mere fact of the power being there is sufficient to justify perfecting that power. Perfecting, they know that. not just using it, not just directing <laughs> yeah, yeah. it to an end, but perfecting. Yeah, it. exactly. And and you know, it's it's the case that I see. There's a theology on your farm that you know of, and that I always want to express to people, which is that the way they look at creatures um, should be instructive for the way we labor generally. Which is that even when it's smothered by survival needs and money, that at the heart of labor, and everyone knows this, I think, if they just dig a little, like there is a moment where you're looking at a creature, you know, even if it's a sometimes a system, but you're looking at a creature and you move because you can perfect it and that's who you are. You're a shepherd. You're a farmer. It's, well, and you, right. you are entering into relationship yeah. with this animal. And one of the things we are marvel at is that this cow this huge cow that 800 could, pounds or more yeah, could move us could do yeah. anything she wanted to with us <laughs> is willing to move into her head stanchion allow us to grab her where only her child her only mm. you know her her calf should grab and allow us to go in there and take this milk from her and not only that but she needs us to do that and she loves it yes. cows will walk in to be milked not because they're bursting and uncomfortable, not because they've been mechanically trained to do this, but because they love the routine. Mm. It's being, a massage. Of being pastured and then brought in for, for this intimate handling and then pastured again. And their entire lives, and let's face it, our entire lives right. are happen within the fabric of this, of this twice daily. Well, now we can get greedy and we can ruin it because we have 
5,000 cows. Yeah. And it or becomes or because a we say, I can make this cow ugly. produce That's five right. times as much as she would naturally mm-hmm. produce mm-hmm. on grass. I'll feed her grain and let's see right. what happens. Right. Mm-hmm. Or we can keep going back to nature and saying, how does nature do this? Mm-hmm. And why wouldn't we try and imitate? Well, not that? only that, when we look at nature and we say, as you say, we have this, we look at a thing and we say, how can I enter into it and and increase its perfection? We've lost a sense of what that. Per- we no longer say what is the cow's perfection. We right, say, yeah. um, what is the more that feels like per- perfection to me? If I can squeeze it out, right. and then we and then we manipulate in right, ways yeah. that are not in keeping yeah, yeah. with and, her and, perfection. And then the other yeah. thing is that people say, well, that's great for the Doherty's. <laughs> That's but right. you're not really caught. You're not really saying to me that I should do this thing. And we would say, yeah, actually, you're human. May, maybe you should. So, maybe you should have a piece of land, two acres, and you should have a cow on it. And you should try and raise as much food as you can for yourself. Nobody's going to raise it better than you. The same way that your children, you, you put your kids in daycare, they're not going to be raised as effectively as you parent, because that was your responsibility. That's, That's your right. role. That's right. You to cannot do that proxy thing. that. And to say, I'm going to proxy this out. Mm-hmm. You know, food is no longer we don't, my we don't responsibility. We do not even understand that we proxy it. It's it's like taken off the table entirely. We do not approach food with the, maybe I should have something to do with its provenance attitude. It's oh, just absolutely. commodified I, like, completely. Again, again, I think that part of the joy of commodification is the loss of of knowledge of the process. Yeah. Um, because yeah. so how would I do it anyway? So that kind of alleviates yeah. Yeah, me. Yeah, you're, you're free. You just sort right. of consume the things that come at the end of the line. And then what that allows you to do is to treat machines with the same wonder that you well not the same, but a a, a right, similar a, wonder with which you treat wonder. the mysteries of creation. Right. Which is namely you replace the sense of um, I did not make this, I did not do this, and yet I am a part of it, and yet I receive from it. There's a very subtle change with the industrial system. Where you say a lot of the same words. I don't know where this came from. I don't know how it's made. I just mm-hmm. get it. Mm-hmm. But right. it's, in fact, all the difference of the city of God and the city of man. But and, and It's the, fascinating the because there's almost the sense that it comes to – I mean, when we when – we, when we take something from the industrial system and we have no, no idea of its backstory, it is almost as though there's a fiat – the yeah. magic of yeah, let well, it be, and it's and it's man's cleverness. We're Isn't so that we in love with celebrate it. man's cleverness. Think how how brilliant he is to be able to do all these the things fact and that provide. Computer, teeny tiny chips that have all that stuff in them. That's mind boggling yeah. that we have figured out how to do that. Yeah. I understand the attraction. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> but sure. I think what what I keep on running into is that the. The cleverness, uh, the awe and the cleverness of the system masks the social conditions that make the system necessary. So we are so amazed mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. we are able to have a nationwide military style transportation of cold foods. Mm-hmm. And we're, it's, this is incredible. Of yeah. course it's incredible. Right, right? right. Because military structures are incredible. But the question is, does our wonder, it's not a question, I'm saying this, our wonder, uh, mask the fact that we're living as if we're in a war and that's what necessitates the system yep. right so cleverness i mean people say this about technology all the time where it's like you know you live in the greatest uh, most advanced part 
of humanity, right? You're at the peak of history because look at what we can do. Of course, they're assuming that history is technological and then they're just reading themselves into it as the Mm -hmm. end of history, whatever. The point is (laughs) that um, with every praise of a technology in that way, you are also masking a deficient humanity that needs that needs the technology. That's right. You know, it, it, and so this is a this is it's a vicious dialectic that always always comes back to haunt us. Right, right. Back um, to Ivan Illich and the question of yeah. of cars or the easy one. You know, to say, well, yeah. nobody said I need a metal box I can race around at sixty miles an hour in. Yeah. We just ex- we were excited by our cleverness, mm-hmm. and it was made by an economic system. It was put within our our economic reach. Yeah, yeah. And in about the blink of an eye. We yes. can't can't picture. Our, we not only we can't picture our we culture, we can't make it, it happen. It right? Happen. We can't make it. We happen. need the car. Uh, a luxury has become a necessity through the um, greed and cleverness of of very wealthy men. Well, and our willingness. Oh yeah, al- our, almost almost our hardwired, you know, sort of pathological willingness to take any innovation right. and. And swallow it whole. This right is the away. American way. It's true. Although I will say, with cars, and also as we'll learn hopefully through the series with farms, a lot of it that you can blame on the kind of, you know, aren't we just such suckers? We always we always take the next you know novel thing and run with it. But then you look at the laws that were put in place oh, to right. enforce its ubiquity. Oh, yeah. right. I mean, cars. I was reading about. Um, jaywalking and the way that jaywalking became a crime it was a lobbying movement of car manufacturers oh my god because when cars were first introduced i'm sorry you're not supposed to talk about cars you're supposed to talk about milk when cars were first introduced right it was into a walking world Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. so they were the enemy or horse and they're yeah right Mm -hmm. the horse is walking right and for sensible people um I mean, the newspaper like opinion pieces on this are hilarious because what you have is Americans for whom their world made a complete sense on the yes. basis of feet mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. horse, talking about these monsters, the this luxurious plaything of the rich, mm-hmm. which did not have any clear necessity as of yet in our history because our worlds were accessible, mm-hmm. right? And this this was a huge problem because the the entire. Uh, sort of emotional edifice that was being constructed was all against the car owner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and car companies understood this. Uh, and so they had not simply to make cars safe or something. Their whole point was they needed to switch That's it right. up so that the people who mm-hmm. aren't in cars mm-hmm. are the dangerous, reckless criminals. That's right. And so the term jaywalking, I mean, jay is a word that meant rube or, or you know, moron, uh-huh. um, was it deliberately introduced by this lobbying group. And there were efforts directly to local police forces. <laughs> they would have these pageantries, I'm, I'm not kidding, <laughs> where they would, they would have higher actors and they'd go into major city streets and they'd have newspaper men there. And they would have a, a usually a woman, an attractive woman, jaywalk. They're, they're inventing the crime, right? So mm-hmm, they'd have mm-hmm. the woman jaywalk. They'd have another actor as a police officer grab her and then put her over his shoulder and, and walk her off the street. And then a band would come and there'd be like a big sign that says, don't, don't be a jay. Okay. Wow. This is a coordinated effort where we they thought had, advertising had taken over in the last hundred years or 50 you, years and it's really now, much after we've grown grown cynical enough but this is also in an, in an age where we were pretty 
like there is something true that we're very when when a world makes sense when something like that happens you're not sitting there saying oh i see they're constructing a necessity in order mm-hmm. to sell cars yeah, right, 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 right right now you're right, you're right. you're just in the street you know realizing suddenly that you should be ashamed for something that was never even a point of question, right? Mm-hmm. The question mm-hmm. of, can I cross this space? Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. You are an idiot for crossing this mm-hmm. space. Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. is a space mm-hmm. for the car. Mm-hmm. And this had such an effect on American law that despite everything in law being, uh, you know, ideally being for the defense of the weak, like you look at the right. walker and the car, who has the power, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. It's almost an idiotic question. For years, uh, even up till now, the presumption was that the person on the foot is liable for for their own safety. Right, when right, when right. you're actually, yeah, you know, okay. So I, I could just I could just get I know we could go on for rage on this, but, yeah, but yeah. Who, who's to hit? There's no one to hit anymore. Right, it's all been that's done. Right. So jaywalking was invented, and my point is simply that it's, it's similar with raw milk. Is that when you look at its when you look at it, it can often feel like these things happen simply inevitably. And there is, yes, there is a spiritual element that societies do what they love. And so if they love commerce over God, then there are results that will happen and, and we'll be confused to see them happen because it seems like no one made that decision, right? Who made yeah. the decision that we feel just so comfortable when something comes wrapped in plastic? Did anyone right. really decide that? No, no, no. no, right. no. Right. But there are some things where it's just like, well, that was a bad law to enforce a practice to enrich certain people at the expense of humanity. And, right. So, and so let's admit that there was some, some, uh, some will involved, some... Yeah, do you know about that part of the no, story? No, I, I, I've milk. decided that you don't sleep. And you only read at night because I don't know how you cover quite so much. That's what ground. I do. Oh no, it's 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 just um, it's the ability to riff. It comes from music, and then it. Yeah, no, no, I get it. I get it. The stuff gets in there, and then it makes connections in your brain, and you can pull it out yeah, and offer yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I don't know when you had time to read that. I, mean, I know a little bit. So so I know about um, the ways in which these the um actual incidents of death by milk contamination, even acknowledging that the conditions were bad for what milk is, mm-hmm. were nevertheless overblown and exploited oh, heavens, in, yes. in public advertising and not about necessarily milk. Right. Exactly. You know, it, it, it may or may not have been the cause. Absolutely. Right. Exactly the same set of processes was brought into play to demonize raw milk. Raw milk. Raw milk. Where do we get a phrase like that? It's milk. It's I know, fresh milk. I know, I know. I hate it's even milk that it. hasn't been cooked, right? But, yeah, but it's, the, it's a bit, we have I'm a sorry, culture. But that's so that's so instructive. Like we cook milk to make it well, but by cooking milk, we invented milk being raw. I mean that's right. It, that's it's right. the perfect I mean, this is what the leftists and Foucault always write about. It's like, how did we get I mean, they'll say this about stupid things like gender or something, but they'll they'll ask questions right. like, how did we get this thing? that we conceive of as natural. And what they answer is something always like, well, what we actually did is created the artificial that made the thing natural right. uh, as a negation of the artificial. That's right. That's right. Okay, blah, blah, blah. But that actually happened with milk. It actually it was happened just milk, with milk. And then we cooked it and now it's raw. Right. right. <laughs> right. It actually right. happened with milk. And I mean, if the story, if your question is, what was the mechanism for demonizing it? Yeah, I, I was just wondering if you knew of a, a similar... Um, Campaign for uh, assuring uh, pasteurization's ascendancy. Well, well, sadly, it would look just like the one having to do with cars. Um, 
Once you, once you, once you, um, well, and, 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 and the breast milk. Right. You right. certainly saw that with baby breast formula. Milk, absolutely. Baby formula. Once, once you invent a technology, right mm-hmm. here, how, look how clever I am. And that, that might be something that humanity would do the way, um, the ancient Greeks and Romans would construct various forms of clock, right? Something that would tell time by the dripping of water or the burning mm-hmm. of a candle or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's just delightful that we can, that we, that we can, um, mesh natural processes into a thing that does this other thing, which seems extraneous, but actually flows out of how all this stuff works. And it's delightful. But once we invent it, um, typically it cost us something to do the invention. Oh, I see. And we also yes. want to promote it partly out of delight, out of our, you know, of our cleverness, you right, know, partly share to pay this, the debt <laughs> and partly to pay the debt. Yes. Yeah. And in most cases, as you point out, I'm going to say most, I'm, I'm prepared to hear in all cases, um, we have not invented the thing we've invented in order to meet a need. Mm. Um, we've either done it out of pure bliss that it can be done or more and more, especially as the thing we were doing required a greater and greater investment of time and goods. We were doing it, uh, with a, with, um, with plan of gain at the end of it. Right. Once we've invented it, we have to get people to buy it. Well, then, and and if the people don't need it, then we have to convince them that yeah. they do that's need it. That's where we are with meat right now. Okay. We've got to make eat meat evil. And, you know, in terms oh, of right. what's coming out of CAFOs and stuff like that, that meat, there there's, just, there's certain injustice there. Don't eat but, this garbage. But if I raise my own meat, I have an independence from the system that they don't want me that to have. It is absolute. Well, I don't need right. you at all. Right. That's right. So I've got to I've got to eliminate those things. Mm-hmm. Milk, meat, any of those things. I've got to eliminate that so that you are. And there's no way that we could create on our farm. The cricket meat or the vegetable meat or any of those kinds of things. So we would, if if that became how you ate, we would be under their control. But I can create meat or not create meat, obviously. I mean, I can can partner with the the world to make meat. That's right. Yeah. It's always seemed to me that the resistance to small scale farming is precisely because it is possible. And because if we were to give people the land necessary to have a ruminant, then we would have to reestablish a pre-capitalistic social order. That's right. In which there is just distribution of land as, as the kind of beating heart of the society. Right. And so I don't know that everyone who, you know, puts us on to the next lab grown meat fat is, is thinking about this. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think there's enough to just follow the logic through that. Okay. If, if there is a way of sustaining ourselves um, in peace and if it takes this much land to do it and we want it for everyone to some extent mm-hmm. um, where possible, mm-hmm. then by definition we have to have, Land redistribution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but I don't think we need to wait for the government to do that. I don't think people. Sure. Yeah, it, I mean, it's, people just need to start doing it. Yeah. People need to say, "I'm going to find two acres and and I'm going to start using it." And there is plenty of unused 
land. Appalachia is a great place for this because it has not been. I mean, the history of Appalachia since Europeans arrived here has been the history of a land that is not readily convertible into um, industrial material. Except except, until we figured out there was iron ore in those hills and coal in those hills and we started Pittsburgh. But prior to that, it it, it only lent itself to the kind of uses that happen on the small scale Mm -hmm. in tiny pockets. Yeah, yeah, because the topography of the land kind of stops you from... Flattening everything. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, this right, is very much yeah. you can't get there from here. We are kind of seeing place. that right now. It's very kind of exciting right yeah, here in yeah. this area. There are a number of people who are coming back, and they often contact us and they say, "How are you doing this?" And and we say, "Well, what is it that you want to do?" And they say, "We want to have an independent farmstead, <laughs> just like <laughs> we read your book. We read your book. And so, how do we do this thing? Yeah, and, sure. I, and I think that's what has to happen." Is that people yeah. have to say, I'm pulling out of the system and I'm not going to go to Walmart and I'm not going to go to those places and I'm going to provide this for myself. Mm-hmm. What an exciting thing. It would transform your area if you did that. That's absolutely right. Uh, that that comes to the last two things I want to ask about because it seems to me that you're not self-sufficient. Because the milk seems to be providing for people like me as well. (laughs) So what I want to know, and this is something that I always want to, everyone has a tendency, I have a tendency to think within the the basic ruts of our own culture. Mm -hmm. And whenever Mm -hmm. people hear you say that, they think in terms of libertarianism, they think in terms of um, self-sufficiency, which by which they mean a individualistic self-sufficiency. And so uh, this is, this is, caveating because there's nothing about your language that necessitates that Mm-mm. but but it's i always am aware that this is how people hear it but when you actually look at the cow what it seems seems obvious to me and maybe you can just confirm this or not is that it extends beyond the family by its very nature because i see families who are milking who cannot consume mm-hmm. the amount of milk they mm-hmm. have and when it's time to butcher, um, I see, especially if we imagine a pre-freezing and refrigeration mm-hmm. world, right? right? Obviously, right. we have some ability mm-hmm. here, um, the inability to even consume everything. Before it rots. Before it rots. Absolutely. So like within the ruminant itself, there is that, that movement towards community. Yeah. Um, where it's really, an, it seems to be a necessity. Well, the it, 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 it actually happens even before that. Okay. You cannot have this, you cannot have the illusion of yeah. your, you know, your existence as an isolated being yeah. and farm right. naturally. You right. can't, there are yeah. no edges. My farm has no edges, let alone me. Um, so you're, you're mm-hmm. automatically going to recognize yourself as um, this moat, you know, that, that, moves and acts within a living community that is in a living community that's in a living community. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was Wes Jackson who Wendell Berry says um, they were having a conversation about what was the smallest unit that you could, you know, sort of approach and say, let's, 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 let's develop management mm-hmm. for this. And he says, Wes Jackson smiled and said, well, smallest unit, the kingdom of God. Um, and it's a good answer because, you know, it's it, it, it. Anytime you try and find edges to a to a 
biological system, it, those edges interface with other edges, oh, yeah, and yeah. and it's all interactive. So you can't you can't have the illusion that we are. I'm a rock. I'm an island. No, and yeah. annually your herd doubles. Right, exactly. Right. So now I've got all these or if cows. You have sheep triples. And if I am and if I am doing pasture yeah. annually or even more than that, your pastures are getting better. Yeah. Absolutely. You've got more grass. Yeah. You've got more milk coming in. You've got and that's all not even right. trying to do very much. You know, much. China yeah. in the past, right? Um farmers of forty centuries, EF King. China is an example in some ways of what is possible when you do keep management management on exactly the scale you're talking mm -hmm. about and people are forced, choose, whatever, how you want to ever you want to put it, to make the land that is available be itself so well that it is extremely productive. And and so we we come to, we have a culture that uses human labor and animal labor to schlep wastes, byproducts from here to there and keep an entire landscape, much of it can, stuff that would not be considered farmable now, highly productive so that two acres, on average, I think it might have been like two and a quarter acres, would support an entire family, including pigs, chickens, and all the things that they're growing. And that was more than 90% of the population on small plots of land feeding the population itself, all the mm -hmm. generations, mm -hmm. and you know, contributing to or providing for the for the sustenance of the cities as well. I'm not I'm not advocating any particular model, but I am saying it's been done. Yeah, right, right, right. For four thousand years. Sure. I mean, and looking at the the feudal system in in Europe, it seemed like um, there was the sort of way they spaced out common land and then the land that the peasants Absolutely. lived on and then the fact that the lord couldn't evict a peasant from his own land mm -hmm. it seemed to be recognizing the certain scale that was possible it not only recognized that it recognized um hierarchies human hierarchies that have to do with mm -hmm. strength and and uh, uh various blessing you know capacities gifts and how can we? Uh, it's it's important to have um, social structures that extend beyond the, the nuclear family mm -hmm. and the feudal system. Mm -hmm. Meant we can manage our business communally mm -hmm. um, from from about here, right? I can yeah. see it all, I can touch it all, but um, other people are in charge of their little fiefdoms, um, so that the system becomes more resilient because all the different parts can sort of interact and yeah. pick up slack for one another. Yeah. But, but it is, it is, it is so hard when you see those communities that still have some of that. And, and, um, um, Wendell Berry always goes back to the Amish and he's talking about the Amish in where we know we, Holmes we, County, Holmes mm -hmm. County, we visited those Amish. It is not those Amish anymore. Yeah. Even they are just a generation behind us. Yeah. And they are losing that thing. And why are they losing it? Because it's so much easier to do it, to do it through cash. It's so much easier to give thanks to your checkbook or your credit account than it is to give thanks yeah. to this giant, yeah. complex, and somewhat demanding God, you know. And yeah. to say to people, all you have to do is... 
go the other direction and and we'll help you. Yeah. We'll help yeah. you make those people it that's a really hard turn. Sure. Sure it is. Well, I think that uh, as we've been describing all of this that some of the things that make it so very difficult is because we don't just live in a world of pragmatic facts, but we also live in a world of symbols and meanings, right? And so 90% of the battle, it seems to me, is getting over the way that symbols are manipulated mm -hmm. within this late stage mm -hmm. of modernity. So mm -hmm. like raw milk has to mean something different, yeah, right? right. right. Um, subsistence has to mean something different. Uh, we have to be able to t turn those corners. Um, so I wanted to end our discussion here by talking a little bit about milk in the Bible and especially as it relates to the female because, um, oh, because I want to hear from Beth more and so I can declare incompetency on knowing the relationship of milk and the female <laughs> more generally. But it, it strikes me that we live in a, um, a world that can't deal with milk. And I don't just mean this in terms of raw milk, but I mean it in terms of the female body, period. We live in a chauvinistic age. And I don't mean that in the way most feminists, I think, mean it, mm -hmm. um, whereby they take the industrial uh, male as the model and then bemoan the ways in which uh, women are not allowed to be him. Um, I, <laughs> Isn't that exactly it? Isn't yeah, that exactly I, I, it? I rather take as the problem that there is no category for female existence available um, within modernity. That we're worse than the Greeks in a certain sense who had relegated Isn't the women to like the category of... Isn't that curious? We have denied the existence of females, not, yeah. not exalted it. Yeah. And it seems like it, it pairs with... I mean, there's a, there's a lot that goes into making new symbols and into taking away old symbols. But it seems that our fear of reality as a given and as a gift mm -hmm. that we mm -hmm. can creatively enter into participation with, but ultimately always comes as a surprise that this whole experience, which leads us, you know, to our sort of manic criminalization of raw milk is at the same experience, um, where we can't quite handle, uh, women. We can't quite handle female sexuality. I I wanted to by Jacques Lacan. No, <laughs> that won't help us uh, right now. Um, yeah, do, doesn't that strike you as um, you know the very fact of pregnancy itself mm. is a surprise. It's mm. always a surprise, mm. and it's always this moment of recognition that the things that we did. <laughs> were somehow almost only tangentially re related to what we received. Mona Berry talks about this a lot. Like, how could a little pleasure have produced that, that right? Uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> and it, it seems to me that it's actually the, uh, the, the form of gratitude is present in, in a symbolic way in the female body because it's, it, it just says over and over again, um, you get so much more. Uh, than than what you labor to do that that it's always this excess of the gift and then the human contribution that there's always this sense of um you know and, and when I say milk I mean it categorically there's always a sense of like 
and abundance being produced that goes on without us and yet we are participating in as as creatures and and it seems like that is what we fear uh, in modernity we fear a world that is not up to us and that is given and mm-hmm. I, and i think this is somehow symbolized in in our i think you're right i think that there's a there's a um there's a whole lot of pain. I, you know, I'm as a woman, I can only speak to this from the from the feminine perspective. But there's a whole whole lot of agony associated with being a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I would say, in our present time and culture, it's very much in the majority that being, and and not at all in the way I've been sold that one. Let me state here that I have, to my knowledge, never suffered discrimination from a man as a man, but only from a man as a jerk. <laughs> and that's been very much in the minority, actually. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but when, a, when, when I feel as though some man has, has attempted to patronize me because I'm a woman, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have only felt disdain because the only person he's put down is himself. Mm-hmm. But I do mean that that to be female right now, and I think maybe to be human, but certainly to be female, is at least in the United States a very a, a, a thing that is racked with pain. About the time you begin to understand that you are a person and an individual and are female, and I think maybe that comes out of the same that to be female well is. Is, is a thing of receptivity. It is a very much openness to be acted upon. Ultimately, isn't that our human condition, mm-hmm. that we have to have a willingness to be acted upon and, and to respond to that while not losing the willingness to be acted upon? But, so, but, but I would say even more that what I've watched you do is to be subservient to 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 say and not i'm not talking about me i'm talking about to the child need that's right so that when her her um parenting as a as a woman was what does a child need not what's the schedule the child needs to be under Mm -hmm. in order for me to maintain my individuality or anything like that but but a total giving of herself to the family to what does the family need what does the child need what does my husband need what is you know in in a way that i think our society is horrified by i mean they're horrified that tanya berry mm. types for Wendell. The, yeah, for remember Wendell. That? How, yeah, how yeah. can, you know, that's so, uh, but that's how she loves him. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, that, and, but I, Beth's, and, and I, you know, I love it when Beth speaks to women about how to be a mother and things like that. Because what she talks about is giving yourself totally, forget your independence. You know, you are now a mom for these children and whatever it is that they need, that's what you're to give them. So, so many struggles go away. They yes. become something else. It becomes my when yoke. You, when you cease to struggle, right? when you, and this is, this is so analogous to farming, 
right? Mm. When I say this is the result I want mm. and I impose on soil and plants and animals, this is the result I want, I have tied myself and them to an endless opposition of wills. <laughs> yeah. But as soon as I say, um, to the best of my ability, I will, I, I will try and perceive the beautiful natures of all these things, including things I don't particularly like, like grasshoppers, <laughs> right, potato <laughs> bugs. Right. As soon as I recognize, okay, they have natures, yeah. and their natures come out of this 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 whole that is completely unified. Right. That's redundant, but come out of this whole that has no contradictions, which is the mind of God. Mm-hmm. Then. I can submit to them and serve them. Yeah, right. And I may not get what I thought I wanted, but the struggle ceases to be me against all these wills pushing back at me and becomes the struggle to, it's like dance. It's like, if you've ever watched Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers waltz, the thing is magical. Mm -hmm. This complete oneness two different kinds of will, the leading will and the following will. And, and, and it's sublime. And that's, I mean, I mean, as brokenly as we do it, that is the married relationship. It is also the nursing relationship of mother to child. And it's very much the farming relationship. It says, um, rather than, than attempt to dictate what's going to happen here, I'm going to watch and be attentive and delighted usually. Yeah. As you are so delighted when you look at, at Felix and Miriam. Yeah. Watch and be delighted and then be there. You know, I've watched you do this over and over again as you you give your child the lead and then respond with word and gesture. Yes, right. Again. To the child's creativity. Yeah, right. And then isn't it delightful? And it also takes away that opposition of wills that says you will sleep at this time you will behave the way i tell you to it do, it's not a giving over and a and a um it it doesn't say let the kid do whatever he wants no no, no because what you're about whatever. is what yeah, is best yeah. for this child right. but best for this child is probably not a programmed time that they need to do things just as you were talking about the mechanistic mind that would say uh, nature is better without human beings. Nature mm. is not better without mm-hmm, human beings. Mm-hmm. Nature is red in tooth and claw, and it's a lot messier without human beings. If we want it to be beautiful and productive, the yep. human beings respond to nature, and the same goes with with parents parenting. And and and, and, and the fact that we gestate and then we lactate is a very. I mean, could you can you think of a better symbol for the the receptivity of of womanhood yeah and um the same war that has has almost destroyed the small you know family yeah unit of productivity on the farm is the war that has made women to what it is to be a woman in the 21st century such a piece of misery yeah i mean the, you, you seem to be describing it just as i would that i would take like a almost like an anthropological starting point. Not that I think that this is how people come to it. It's just, right. it's a question of what we are for. That's right. Because 
in liberalism in our in our societies, um, we describe ourselves as for the satisfaction of our desires. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a novel explanation of the human person. <laughs> and <laughs> it seems that what makes this especially difficult is that it creates unnecessary hierarchies where the one who can better fulfill their individual desire that they construct themselves, it receives a sort of higher place within a society. Now, this obviously happens um, between men and women, where because of what pregnancy is, I mean, it is the giving over of your body for another, Mm -hmm. right? So there's no way to have that simply as the fulfillment of a desire. Like even your desire to be pregnant is never the desire for this child and this pregnancy and this reality. It, it always comes in excess. But the point is human persons are not actually for our individual desires, right? We're not simply there to construct what we want and then try and go get it in the world. Um, we are shepherds. So we are here to perfect nature into a pleasing offering to God, right? And when that becomes the mindset, Suddenly, femininity makes sense because it is simply one of the highest symbolic moments of what's true for all of us, namely that the the woman is given natures to perfect and and it's not really a question of whether you know or if somehow you can conceive of that as being a desire that she's constructed and now would like to go fulfill as if you had a choice well, I think I'll be a shepherd of being today. I think I might go perfect some natures because you know what that sounds like a a fun thing to do. other people can be you know. Yeah. Okay. But, so the point being that where it's agony and and it's I would distinguish between the suffering that belongs to it and then the kind of agony that modernity brings to it is the idea that um, that you are not yourself perfected in the perfection of other natures, and so all subservience to another nature, all working to perfect that nature, somehow is conceived of as coming at the cost of That's yourself. Right. right. The more there is of you, the less there yeah. is of me. So Exactly. It's a zero-sum so, game between right. individuals competing for happiness. So my exist- if my existence consists of receptivity and giving, yeah. in the end, there's no me. Yeah. And and we're all tempted that way, yeah. right? I I surprise myself by dis- by actually identifying that thought when in a conflict, say, with my husband. Conflict? <laughs> what conflict? <laughs> um, where I will, you know, and at least by identifying the thought, I can go, well, okay, I know I'm going down the wrong road right there. Yeah, yeah. But that feeling of if I serve, it is at my own cost. Mm-hmm. Instead of by serving, I I become more me. Yeah. And, and you pull yourself sense. out of the uh, monetary system. In, in a real way, because now I can't really do that because I'm, I'm pregnant. I've, you know, oh, yeah, isn't and, that marvelous? If, and if money is the root, I, you know, I, I, that comment that you said that that woman said, it's so nice when people spend money on me or something like that. That's what affirms my, my being, my being. Oh, obviously. My word. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and you know, for so many of the things that women do, Nobody's paying for that. Right, Nobody's right. paying you cash um, to do that. Right, right. So I feel like, you know, my husband <clears throat> brings in all this. He provides all these things. He's the source of all 
No, it's cash a, it's a, because it's a highly unnatural uh, and modern way of living. It's yeah. terrible. No, it's so we've made, so we've really made marriage awful. an economic thing, and I know that that's that's like a trite thing to say at this point, but I do see that that the cash, the, you know, the the translation of all value into the symbol that we call money, um, sets sets up a a, a mental construct that we then fit all human relationships into like mothering and, yeah, and wifing right, right. and husbanding. And, um, yeah. And then, and then we say like the more, the more for you, the less for me. Yeah. There cannot be a world in which there is both pregnancy and then alienation from the means of our own survival. Those two things, can't ha- right. you can't have them both. Right. And so right. it's, oh, a, right. so it's a war right. because what happens then is that it is necessary because of the money system for a fact that one person gets pregnant that the other person must go to get cash and then where cash is considered to be the value then the hierarchy of value cements itself there is nothing more appropriately described um the, the most appropriate description of modernity that i find in terms of the male and female relationship is just the curse that adam and eve received after the fall right which is your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule your over you. And that's considered by most fathers as a, as a perversion of the original um, relationship. And, and, but you see it's necessity. It's like, look, insofar as the way to live is to make money, women are oppressed. Boom. There, there's no right. question about it. There's right, no getting right. around it. Right, right. Maybe you're oppressed because you have to undergo a regime of birth control and abortion for the entirety of your life in uh-huh. order to meet right. the demand, which is the cash to be nexus, the man. to be, to be <laughs> or right. when you are pregnant, you are a diminished personality, right. pregnant, who, nursing, raising children. Right. So, you, and so you're doing all of this and your husband cannot help in a natural way, but is forced to go and, and create wealth by which you purchase commodities. And you sure hope that a bunch of those commodities help the woman out. Mm-hmm. And and then you basically have the whole cycle of modernity, all or not of, Consumerism, mm-hmm. um, all in the hopes that you can save women from her condition, as it were. But the but the premise is wrong, and the cash and our cash dependency is an evil. Um, but when we talk about structures of sin uh, in the church, we mean those things that you, not because you will it to be this way, but because for the sake of survival, you are participating and you must participate in society has been structured in this way. Um, so it seems like when you guys speak about the kind of life you want to live on the farm and the kind of life you want to teach other people to live, you're also talking about a, a restoration of the male and female relationship as it was experienced in the garden of Eden. I'm not saying that you have an Edenic no, relationship, obviously. but I'm saying that the f- pregnancy no longer being an interruption of the mm-hmm. procurement of cash. And I'm not even saying you guys got there through because you you were working and, you know, it's everyone needs to transcend, you know, our current conditions. That's the whole idea here. Um, But it is a great sign of hope for me because of the agony that I hear so many women going through that Mm -hmm. this world has not been fit for for women. It has Mm -hmm. not been fit for milk. Mm -hmm. It has not been fit for that kind of gift. Um, And. 
And it's all interrelated. Well, and the more you step away from the cash world and say, how can the family provide mm -hmm. rather than being consumer? How can yeah. the family just consume? But how can it provide for things? Yeah. All the children work together toward this thing. Yeah. And, you know, as we that the evening meal is a festival mm -hmm. as we all eat from the farm, yeah. uh, all the great things that we have. And it really is a celebration. Well, something you said at the beginning of this talk, and I can't wrap my head around it right now, but what it made me think of is how, and this happens three times a day, yeah. seven days a week, 365 days of the year in our house, is that we eat meals with this abiding sense. It doesn't matter that it's the same, same you know, handful of foods that we arranged in different ways, this abiding sense of gift every time. And it really is, you know, it is a similitude between, or it comes out of this similarity between how milk appears from us, but without our volition, you know, mm -hmm. and how food appears from nature. Again, it just sort of flows out of, out of, it flows out of submission to the nature of things, right, I guess. Right. And it makes you so grateful. It would be undercut if we were buying in feed all the time, if we were still using cash right. to provide these things. It would things. be cut off, in fact. Right. It would and that, cease and our to whole flow. system, our whole, it's not a system. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes. um, recently, recently in a conversation with Butch Tyndall uh, and his wife, Diane, they said, system's kind of a, kind of a mechanistic word. Have you thought about pattern from Pater? Yes. And we thought, oh, in fact, I think that was really Grady and Esther, right. but whoever said right. it. Right. Have you thought about pot pattern? And so we're substituting pattern for system right. in our right. language but, now. But, but this pattern that we have where the, the, the cash system is thrown out. So in some sense, that's why we become less and less interested about selling off farm as well. Yeah. It's because let's just get out of the whole system right. of buying and selling because when you start dealing with cash on the farm, then you start thinking, well, I need to make a certain amount of cash from this stuff. We, I start degrading my method, my methods, my pattern. Uh, right. And, and we right. don't mean that people can bow completely out of the, out of the cash system. Oh, no, no. What we you are saying is cash. if you attempt to um, morph, right. To, to get this, this hybrid of your cash needs, which is to say, um, I'm going to very, very indirectly, um, provide for a certain set of needs. Mm -hmm. If you attempt to morph that with the 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 land use, the 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 husbandry of farming, you will end up with something that, that doesn't work. You've got you you know you've got the six million dollar man who's constantly having to go into the shop to get his parts fixed. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't work, and and you'll kill the life of the farm if you attempt to hybridize it with the cash world. But as far as the way the farm goes, it shouldn't require this this um, provision by proxy. That is, yeah. Um, the you, economic, you, the you cash make the world. grain for me, or you mix up the thing for me, or right, yeah, that right. The, uh, uh, yeah, um, it means ecological that, it means that systems farming is do no not longer. Import. Yeah, it means that, and it means that farming is no longer foundational. Something else is foundational. That's right. And That's right. And it's, it's, it's not foundational and it's not that gift. And when it's not foundational, it also can't become the wisdom of our society, right? Because right. the thing that guides us is always, it's sort of maybe mystical, but it's like the thing that keeps us all in being 
is our best image for God because that's who God yeah, is. Right, and where that is the farm, where we can point to that, oh yeah, I know the foundation of society, mm-hmm. it's growing food. Um, where we can point to that, then God becomes present to us as the farm is present to us, an abundant provision, right? That's the first, like the it's first there logical all the time. image. But where- It's the thing you're most aware of. Right. And somehow the least at the same time. Right, but right. As the, the child the is aware of the breast, right? Right, It's exactly. both the thing yeah. and the thing that I take so for granted I don't think about it. Right. Where, where the farm is only what it is insofar as it produces cash and cash produces the materials, mm-hmm. the materials mm-hmm. go back mm-hmm. to the farm, mm-hmm. then cash is God. Still, yeah. It right, is right. our primary image of God, right? right. Which is... Right. Um, yeah, checks out with my uh, with other where we started from. <laughs> experiences right. of the world. All right, I want to end here. Thank you for talking to me about milk. The Doherty's um, are serious in that they want to help people uh, do this for themselves. Not everyone is in the position to get two acres and a cow, um, but many people are actually, and and probably more than you think. And one way you can figure this out is by buying their book. The independent homestead. Farmstead. farmstead. The farmstead. independent farmstead. farmstead. Yeah. Chelsea Green Publishing. Yeah, yeah. Forget the homestead. Farmstead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Chelsea Green Publishing. So I uh, hope you read that. I hope this inspires you. And I hope you have a good day. Goodbye.